Welcome to the Smeichel Speaks podcast channel. I'm Joanne Smeichel, and I'm delighted that you tuned in for relevant leadership learning that will help you continue to soar. Enjoy this episode. Once upon a time, there was an ancient community with a unique practice. When they were about to die, the elderly folk were picked up and carried to the top of a hill surrounded by a thick forest. The top was relatively flat and had very little vegetation. There, the elderly passed on in peace and tranquility. In that same community, there lived a young man who was an only child. His father had died. One day he noticed his mother was in failing health. So he began preparations to take her to the top of the hill. During the sad journey, he realized that it was the last time he would be physically close to his mother. He wondered what he could offer her to show his gratitude for her contributions to his well-being. Crying wasn't enough. Hugging was inadequate. Yet, there was little time for much else. While carrying her on this journey, he remembered how she had tenderly and tirelessly nursed him in his greatest physical fragility. He remembered how she had nurtured his mind with lifelong philosophies that transcended cultures and generations. He recalled how she had instilled love and generosity in his heart how she had taught him appreciation for divine providence. He became overwrought as he recalled how his mother had taught him that life's storms are just for a season. The agony of parting weighed heavily on him. As he carried her along, he occasionally felt something pull him back and then suddenly release. After a while, he looked behind to find out what was pulling him back he was surprised to see that his mother was pulling branches off trees and leaving them along the path. He could not discern what this meant. Was this a custom he didn't know? Was it significant only to his mother? He knew he had to learn the meaning of this peculiar practice so that he could pass it along to his own children. He asked her why she was leaving branches along the path. His mother, weak and fatigued from the journey, with faint, failing voice said, Son, when you leave the top of the hill, I won't need directions anymore. But you, you will need to find your way home. I have left those branches to help you find the path. This essay is respectfully borrowed from the work of Dr. Vincent Muli Kituku, author of East African Folk Tales for All Ages, Branches Along the Path. What branches are you leaving in your organization? Are you leaving a path strewn with branches that will guide people to accomplishment and career satisfaction? Are you leaving a path that will lead to the enduring success of the organization? Or 
perhaps you're just littering and loitering along your journey. This program, The Gifts of Leadership, provides options and ideas for contributing to the betterment of the enterprise. It also provides tools for offering gifts that can be used to build cohesive, committed work groups. The ideas in this program will help you create sustainable performance improvement. I'm Joanne Smichael, your host for The Gifts of Leadership. Let's begin by defining leadership. It is, simply put, one's ability to influence, both vertically and horizontally. This definition implies not control, manipulation, or aggression, rather gentle persuasion. This definition, the ability to influence both vertically and horizontally, also clearly identifies the critical constituencies that must be influenced, peers, superiors, and subordinates. In order to influence or lead these constituencies, credibility is the key. You, the leader, must be credible. Your actions must be consistent. You must be competent. Building a reputation for credibility is critical. Leadership is exercised on three levels, the individual level, the interpersonal level, and the organizational. When we're savvy leaders, we begin by managing ourselves well. It's at this level that leaders take the onus for mentoring, coaching, inspiring commitment, and inspiring high levels of performance. The second level, the interpersonal, that's how leaders build teams, that's how they build cohesion, and that's how they resolve conflicts. It's on the third level, the organizational, that leaders build climate and culture. These three levels will become more clear during our discussion of emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence is the foundation for the gifts of leadership. The underlying philosophy of this approach to leadership is based on Daniel Goleman's work on EI. Let me provide a brief synopsis of Goleman's theories, beginning with a clear definition. Emotional intelligence is the ability to manage ourselves and our relationships. The ability to manage ourselves and to manage our relationships. There are four fundamental capabilities. One, self-awareness. Two, self-management. Three, social awareness. And four, social skill. We're going to go into detail on these four capabilities in just a moment. Emotional intelligence is the reason that many bright people never reach their fullest personal or professional potential. It's the reason that many people stay stuck and never find the fulfillment and success that really is within their grasp. Consider people that you've met during your travels. Have you encountered a person like my friend Marianne? Marianne is bright. She's hardworking. She's an editor for an international publisher. Marianne puts in long hours and she delivers exceptionally high quality products. So why can't Marianne get promoted to a senior editor position? Well, I can tell you Marianne has a few problems. She's a chronic complainer. 
When it's crunch time, you always hear her whining and griping about how much work she does, how hard her staff works, how much more she does than everybody else. Her list of complaints never, ever ends. And her complaints have never gone unnoticed by senior management. They hear her just like everyone else. They say she's a hard worker, but has a bad attitude and really isn't promotion material. These are signs that Marianne lacks self-awareness and self-management. I've got another colleague, Chuck. Chuck's the manager of employee relations for a large corporation. He starts all of his conversations discussing his life, his wife, his children, his work, his interests, his grandchildren. He generally fails to ask, how you doing? What's going on? What are you interested in? He's self-absorbed and he's self-centered. Chuck, like Marianne, does great work. He's got a keen eye for detail and he seldom overlooks the big picture. But he's passed over for promotion too. His bosses joke about the fact that his ego fills the entire conference room. His meetings are generally 95% about Chuck and 5% about business. Marianne and Chuck are classic illustrations of the fact that technical skills and intellectual ability are only part of the equation. The formula is balanced by emotional intelligence. Let's get to more detailed explanations of the four capabilities. The first one, self-awareness, that's the ability to read and understand your own emotions. Read and understand your own emotions. But it goes further than that. You got to also be able to see the impact of your emotions on your relationships, on your performance, and on your productivity. When you're self-aware, you can conduct self-assessments to realistically evaluate your strengths and your weaknesses. When you're self-aware, you don't spend time or energy engaging in flights of fantasy about yourself or your abilities. Now, self-management, the second one, that's the ability to control your emotions and your impulses. You can spot a person who lacks self-management. They shout, they pout, they stomp, they storm, they whine. Whenever things get tough, you hear from them. The more self-management you have, the more able you are to control yourself and to handle your responsibilities. When you have high levels of self-management, you have both the drive to meet internal standards of excellence and the initiative to create and seize opportunities. Social awareness is the skill required to sense other people's emotions, to consider their perspectives, and to take genuine interest in their concerns. Socially aware people are typically organizationally aware as well. They read key signs in their environments. They're able to respond appropriately to those signs. If you have this ability, you probably have built a strong network of colleagues. You probably handle organizational politics pretty well. If you're socially aware, you're probably in tune to the needs of your customers, both your internal customers and your external customers. Social skill is the last of Goldman's capabilities. This is the ability to inspire, to motivate, and to challenge people with a compelling vision. If you have social skill, you wield a lot of different persuasive tactics. You provide feedback, guidance, and encouragement. This engenders loyalty, respect, and commitment of people at all levels in the organization. Socially skillful people listen and they send clear messages. 
Now, if this is one of your skills, you're probably an innovator. You introduce new ideas and you can lead people into a new direction. So these are Goldman's four skills. Take a couple of minutes and identify the capability or capabilities that you demonstrate most often. Then think honestly about the capability that you lack the most. As you listen to this program, you're going to get tools for building strengths in each of these four areas. I know you're waiting for me to introduce the gifts of leadership, but we have to continue to lay the foundation. As a leader, you have to possess a clear understanding of organizational climate and the role that you play in creating and maintaining that climate. There are several elements that comprise climate. Accountability is the first element. Accountability is the way that we manage performance. It's one of the ways that we, as leaders, help employees feel a sense of responsibility to the organization. The next element of climate is standards. These are the acceptable measures that we use to judge performance and productivity. Standards are directly linked to accountability because they're the tools that we use to manage performance. These two elements help to create an organizational climate where the norms of performance are clear, they're often communicated, and they're easy to understand and operationalize. Commitment is the next element of organizational climate. Are employees there just for a paycheck and the company's benefits, or do they actually care about the survival of the enterprise? Are they committed to their professions? Are they committed to the larger industry? A high level of commitment sparks a high level of professionalism throughout the enterprise. Purpose is the next element of climate. What is the organization's reason for being? Is it clear to employees? Do they know and do they understand how their functions, how their daily work supports that purpose? As a leader, do you make the purpose and the strategic intent of the organization clear? Purpose implies that there is both a mission and a vision that drive every aspect of organizational life. A clear mission and a clear vision. They don't have to be complicated or theoretical. They just have to be clear and meaningful. Flexibility is the final element of climate. Do people feel free to try different approaches or are they locked into set antiquated methods? Are people encouraged to be innovative? When an environment is characterized by flexibility, people are encouraged to try different things. They're encouraged to learn from their successes and from their failures. Other indicators of flexibility include the lack of bureaucratic encumbrances, the lack of excessive red tape, streamlined processes, streamlined practices. Those are indicators of flexibility. Environments that have fewer layers of management generally promote more flexibility. By way of a quick review, there are five elements of organizational climate. Accountability, standards, commitment, purpose, and flexibility. You, the leader, you play an important role in making each of the elements become reality in the company. Now, let's get to the gifts.
What is it that we want from leaders? What do we expect of the people who occupy the most coveted positions in the company? Yeah, we look for business acumen. We look for polish. We look for a little sophistication. But I know we want more than compelling speeches about strategy, mission, and vision. We also want more than political savvy and the ability to schmooze. We want a few meaningful gifts. We want leaders to give genuine gifts that show a commitment to the organization, to the employees, and to the good of the company. Since we know that wherever our position in the company, we are, in fact, leaders, we also know that as leaders, we too are responsible for giving these gifts. These gifts are the branches the legacy that we leave behind in the organization. It's these branches, this legacy, that transcends brilliant strategy and revolutionary tactics. There are five gifts. Authorship, significance, balance, competence, and respect. I have to tell you at the outset that the first two gifts are adapted from a wonderful, wonderful book on leadership, Leading with Soul, An Uncommon Journey of Spirit by Lee Bowman and Terrence Deal. The first gift that Bowman and Deal present is authorship. Authorship provides space for creation within established boundaries. Authorship allows employees to make their work uniquely their own. Employees get to create projects in ways that reflect their own special knowledge, their own unique skills. They get to add value to the organization while enhancing their own professional growth. You as the leader provide the objective or the what, while employees get to determine the methods or the how. When we allow authorship, We give employees a vote of confidence in their judgment and a vote of confidence in their abilities. It's our way of saying that we trust them. The second gift that Bowman and Deal present is significance. Significance is rooted in shared history, shared traditions, and shared lore. This is when we use narratives that link people to the organization in meaningful ways. We intentionally pass information about successes and failures, triumphs and tragedies throughout the organization. Intentionally, we pass along these stories. This is what helps employees understand the significance and the purposes of their investment in the organization. When we stop to celebrate accomplishments, when we stop to acknowledge and learn from failures, we create significance. This allows people to find the meaning in their work, the meaning in the company, and the meaning in the larger industry. It helps them answer the question, why am I investing my life's energy doing this work in this place? The third gift is an original one. It comes from my own insights consulting with leaders who struggle with organizational stewardship. This is the gift of balance. It refers to the balance between work and play, the balance between career and other interests, the balance between technology and the human element. 
when leaders lean too far in one direction or too far in the other, there's a lack of balance. Think about the teeter-totters you used to play on as a kid. When there's too much weight on one side, the other side goes all the way up. That's because it's out of balance. Think about the manager who often takes two-hour lunches. This is an example of too much emphasis on the interpersonal and not enough emphasis on the work at hand. This throws not just that manager off balance, but the entire work group. Balance is evident when people leave at reasonable hours, when they take their lunches, when they use their vacation time, and still deliver the highest quality products and services. Balance is evident when we as leaders encourage people to tend to sick children, to tend to their aging parents, when we encourage them to volunteer in their communities, and recognize the fact that they can still be maximally effective in their positions. This trend to fake it till you make it makes me sick. It literally nauseates me. Faking it denies you the opportunity for growth. It denies the organization the opportunity to employ the best and the brightest. The fourth gift, competence, is one of the greatest, most essential gifts that we as leaders can give. Competence is the substantive knowledge of the industry, its issues, and trends. It's the ability to do a job exceedingly well. Competence is evident when we master the intricacies of our positions, when we understand the goals of the organization, and when we operate out of that understanding. Competence implies expertise in action, but it goes further than that. High levels of professional competence call upon us to devote considerable attention to our ongoing professional development. That means training, that means education, peer-to-peer learning, and it also means voracious reading. This requires that we reallocate time and we reallocate energy to learning so it becomes a priority. When we neglect this gift, we get stagnant. Competence requires that we constantly infuse fresh knowledge and current information. This is how we get and stay ahead of the pack. The fifth and final gift is respect. I know that respect is a trite, overused, worn-out word, but it's also underpracticed. Respect applies to the posture that we as leaders take in the company. Do we have enough respect for the organization, its resources, and its reputation to conduct ourselves in a manner that's above reproach? Or are we the drunk idiot at the industry cocktail party? Are we the arrogant boss who uses limos for transportation at conventions, even when the company is struggling to get out of the red? Leaders who select their language carefully, who remember that they're an example for the rank and file, who remember that they're a daily commercial for the company. These are the leaders who earn and offer respect. These are the people who can build partnerships that maximize the organization's resources. Respect is critical. It's most evident in courageous listening. Courageous listening. This is the type of listening that focuses on understanding and appreciating other perspectives. This is evident when we use cross-functional, cross-level approaches to problem solving. Using a collaborative approach like this validates the different types of expertise in the workplace. 
Respectful leaders acknowledge the fact that they don't hold all of the answers. They're just one of many repositories of information. Respectful leaders draw on the insights and the experiences of every possible employee. Now, we've identified the gifts. Let's talk about how to give them. It's not as simple as wrapping them in pretty paper, slapping on a bow, and giving them to employees at the awards luncheon. Presenting the gifts requires thoughtful planning. There are three things I'd like for you to consider. The first one, select one gift to emphasize at a time. Don't overwhelm yourself and your staff by putting too much into the mix too quickly. Just work on one area at a time. For example, if you select authorship, determine a set period of time to work with employees on creating their jobs in ways that reflect their unique skills and abilities. Provide enough guidance and enough coaching so that employees really understand how they can make authorship work for them. Give them time to use this gift and to build the appropriate skills. Integrate authorship thoroughly before you move on to the next gift. Second, give the right gift to the right people at the right time. When you're faced with an immediate pressing high visibility crisis, that's not the time to launch an effort to begin giving these gifts. That's a time when you are required to steady the course, to steady the staff, to build a sense of security. It's not the time to try lots of new things. Use your judgment, use your best judgment about who, which gift, and when to give it. I like to try the gifts with the most receptive people first. It builds a track record for success, and it begins to build a critical mass of people who are accustomed to receiving the gifts. Move on to the troublesome, worrisome employees later. Third, don't be surprised and don't be offended if people reject your gifts. The gifts require maturity and responsibility on the part of the giver and the receiver. These gifts ask that we all take ownership first for ourselves, then for our actions, and last for the organization. Some folks just can't handle that. If they've been in autocratic, stifling environments, it's tough for them to make the transition to a more collaborative workplace. People with low levels of commitment will have trouble receiving the gifts because they just don't have a high enough level of concern for the whole organization. Now, here's a bonus tip. You've got to be prepared for repetition. When we work on culture change, and that's what this is, we have to remember that it has to be reinforced constantly. This means that you need to remind people of the skills that they're developing why and how much they matter to the organization. By consistently delivering the gifts, you're building a different culture. That culture is characterized by ownership, by accountability, and by expertise. Remember, culture change doesn't happen overnight. It requires patience, it requires persistence, and of course, repetition. It's time to wrap up this segment of our journey. We started by examining the branches. The branches are the lasting legacy that we leave in the organization. 
Are you leaving the right branches? Are you leaving branches that create opportunities for sustainable success? Or are you just littering and loitering along the path? We moved on to emotional intelligence. Daniel Goleman offers four characteristics of emotional intelligence. These are the capabilities that we as leaders must master. The first is self-awareness. The second, self-management. The third, social awareness. And the fourth, social skill. Emotional intelligence is the critical foundation for delivering the gifts. Emotional intelligence is the missing link in many of our careers and in many of our lives. If you're feeling stuck, if you're feeling frustrated, if you're feeling stifled, begin examining your own levels of emotional intelligence. Organizational climate was our next area of exploration. Climate. That's the tone that we as leaders create throughout the enterprise. It has many characteristics, flexibility, accountability, standards, commitment, purpose. We've got to understand our role in creating a healthy climate. That's what allows us to begin delivering the gifts, and the gifts ultimately strengthen both the climate and the culture. Finally, the five gifts, authorship, significance, balance, competence, and respect. These are the debts that we owe ourselves and that we owe our employers. Giving them consistently creates higher levels of performance, productivity, and internal satisfaction. It ensures the creation of high-quality outputs. You've got to start presenting the gifts today. They are a critical element of the legacy that you will leave behind. Are you leaving a lasting legacy? Thanks for listening to this podcast. I hope that you got tools that you'll actually use and share. Subscribe to get more relevant leadership learning. Check out my YouTube channel to stay prepared for leading in an ever-evolving world.